Crying. Welcome to episode 48 of No Crying in Baseball, stupid, stupid rain episode. My name's Patty, and I'm here with my slightly soggy friend, Potty Mouth. Yeah, I am soggy. This rain is really a pain in the ass, and it screwed up the games for the Nationals this weekend, and I feel like there needs to, something needs to happen about the rain delay procedures. I would like to propose that you get an hour to make your decision. Because this hanging out for hours, wondering whether you're going to, this happened to us on Friday, although we didn't actually go, but still the point is, theoretically, theoretically, we could have been hanging out in the ballpark for hours on Friday before anybody decided if they were going to cancel or not. So I say, give it an hour, cancel. If you start up and you have to stop play again because of rain, just call it. And I realize that the issue with this is the makeup dates, right? Yeah, and to be clear, it's not about the baseball teams themselves making the call this time of year. This time of year, it goes to MLB. So you can't fault individual teams for this. MLB has to make the call because when you get this late in the season, there aren't makeup days available. Some teams have certain days off. They may not match up when the opposing team has a day off. The next day, the weather may be bad, which is what happened this weekend. We had three rainy days in a row. They had to get in four games between the Nats and the Cubs. That fourth game is still trying to happen right now, even as we speak. It's pretty important to the Cubs that they finish because they are in a race for the playoffs. Less so for the Nationals, but they still want to win because who wouldn't want to beat the Cubs? But that's why it's that much more complicated. You know, I think that they could take something from our school systems. We have snow days built in at the end of the year. (laughs) And if you go over your allotted number of snow days, you make up those days at the end of the year. So there's that little bit of cushion. I think MLB should do that. We should have rain week at the end of the year. So if you have rain days, there will be those days at the end of the season before the playoffs that could have uh, makeup games. On today's Slightly Soggy episode, we're going to talk about the Roberto Clemente Award. We're going to talk about some just about to be history making shortstops, both of whom are my boyfriends. We're going to revisit Otani Watch. We're going to talk about the contenders for the uh, Cy Young in the National League. We're going to give you another update on the Women's Baseball World Cup situation. And we're going to share some life lessons from the ballpark. Let's start with the Roberto Clemente Award. The Roberto Clemente Award is given to players who do charitable work outside of their baseball playing uh, profession and are notable for it. And going over the nominees this year, it was striking what these men are doing. Really, really encouraging about people giving back to the community. And when I first looked at it for with new eyes this year after starting this podcast, realizing that there should be overlap between our fantasy baseball boyfriends. I always like think about which one to go first. Fantasy baseball boyfriends and the Roberto Clemente Award, sort of like what we talked about with Heart and Hustle before, that we have been looking for guys that do stuff off the field. And I was happy to see that we do have a lot of guys who are on the list. From your original boyfriend picks, we have Paul Goldschmidt of the D-backs, Reese Hoskins of the Phillies, Buster Posey of the Giants, and one of your pitchers, Cookie Cookie Carlos Carrasco of the Cleveland team. I have almost as many, not quite. I have Joe Maurer on the Twins, Yadier Molina on the Cards, and from my pitching Astros, Mr. Morton, Charlie Morton, in there as well. Um, Outside of our own leagues, there have been a few characters that we've been talking about that I'd just like to to mention. Brock Holt of the Red Sox, just got to throw in something about the Red Sox, who's doing a lot of work with the Jimmy Fund up there in Boston. CeCe Sabathia, I have to tip my hat to. He's on the list. So 
I need to look into him a little bit more, maybe give him a break once in a while. Once in a while. Don't overdo it. Once in a while. And our friend Justin Turner uh, on the Dodgers, who we were talking about a lot last year with the World Series, and his fabulous beard is not the only thing going for him. Um, Chris Davis of the O's, who's having a tough season hitting, but he's doing a lot for the people of Baltimore. And then here, Ryan Zimmerman of the Nats, and we saw when he was recognized for this last week at National Stadium. I have a pick. Can I tell you about my pick? Sure. Go for it. Okay. So these guys are all doing great work, but I'm going to pick one of my boyfriends and hope for the best here. I'm going to go with Carlos Carrasco of the Cleveland team. He has... He's been doing work on an international level as well as a local level. And I kind of like that that mix of things. Everything he does largely is aimed at helping at-risk kids. He's established foundations in the United States and home in Venezuela to help at-risk kids. He's run clinics and donated baseball supplies to low-income kids in the in the Dominican Republic and Venezuela and India and Tampa Bay. I'm not sure why Tampa Bay. I tried to find that out because he's never actually played huh. for Tampa Bay. He contributed a bunch of money and supplies to Puerto Rico after the hurricane. And he does this local thing in Cleveland um, with United Way's Stuff the Bus with Books, where they collect gently used books to give to low-income kids around town, which I think is cool because when he first started playing professional ball, he didn't speak English. And now he's helping kids with literacy. And I think that's kind of awesome. Who's your pick? So these lists are so impressive. It's really hard to make a pick, but I really want to say I feel strongly about Yadier Molina being the guy this year. So I'm going to tell everybody to go vote. We're putting the link in our show notes on Facebook. Vote for Yadier Molina. He is Puerto Rican, and the uh, the award has only gone to Puerto Ricans three times before, including Carlos Beltran a couple of years ago. But Roberto Clemente was Puerto Rican, and we all know that Puerto Rico had a shitty year this year for so many reasons, and that baseball has really given back to Puerto Rico with people like Yadier Molina. He has Fundación Cuatro, Foundation Four, to uh, work against poverty to help people who have been abused and to work with with cancer uh, patients, especially childhood cancer patients in Puerto Rico. His fundación has created a safe house for battered children in Puerto Rico. They've bought an anesthesia machine for the children's hospital there. He went himself right after the hurricane. He was there within 48 hours with seven crates of stuff to pass out. And then he stayed there. It was the off season. He volunteered for weeks. And just to put your own body in that sort of role, I think is incredibly impressive. He also has done baseball stuff for Puerto Rico. He refurbished a park. He has uh, scholarships for kids there to go play baseball, to learn in a baseball academy. And he has raised a shitload of money to the the rebuilding efforts after the hurricane through a charity dinner, through a charity softball game where he had a lot of his buddies actually go to the island and play a game for fun and to get some money. And there's so much more. So he's my guy. And I saw him briefly last week when the cards came to the Nats, and so frustrating. They were there for three games. I was at the first and the third. The first, he didn't play, which is crazy because he always plays. The third, he played, but there was nothing really notable. And the second, he had gotten a Grand Slam, and that's the one I missed. But I thought of you when I watched the Grand Slam. Sigh. 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 Yeah. But go Yachty. Vote Yachty before September 18th. Go to the link. So vote for whoever you want to vote for, even if it's not Yachty. But the important thing is read up on these guys because they're, this is only two of them. And they're all doing work that's just this good for the causes they believe in. So 
look up the guys from your team and see what they're up to so you can support them. There's a couple of short stops right now who are on the cusp of making some pretty serious history. And they are my boyfriends, Trevor Story of the Rockies and Francisco Lindor of the Cleveland team. Let me tell you what they got going on. Just this week, Trevor Story hit the longest home run of the StatCast era, which means we're pretty sure about the measurement, 505 feet in in, in the park in Rocky, uh, the Rockies Park. Um, there is urban legend that once uh, Mike Piazza hit a much farther home run, but no one could actually measure. So, oh, yeah, I think it hit that sign over there. So he has the urban legend, but um, but Trevor Story has the tape measure to prove this. Um, Carlos Gonzalez apparently is 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 a pals with Trevor Story, watched this home run, and he said, oh, my God, that's going to hit the scoreboard, go straight to my Lamborghini in the parking lot. Oh, suffering. <laughs> the suffering. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good, though. But the really notable thing, the second notable thing about that home run is that was only one of three home runs Trevor Story hit in that same game over the Giants, and two of them hit the concourse. Two of them went so far out of the playing field that they hit the concourse. That is crazy. Right. And he may have... Um, a 30-30 season. If we've talked about this, how how we have these nicknames for seasons using numbers. The first number is the number of home runs. The second is the number of stolen bases in a season. Right now, he's got over th- more than 30 home runs, and he's at 25 stolen bases, so he's pretty close to a 30-30 season. More on him in a minute. But first, Francisco Lindor, Mr. Smile of the Fight in Franconas. On Tuesday, he became the first shortstop ever to post a 30 home run, 40 doubles season, twice. There are a couple of guys who have done it once. Cal Ripken, A-Rod, Garcia Parra, and Tejada. That's some pretty spectacular company. He, they all did it once. He's done it twice. Now, Trevor Story is at 39, um, 39 doubles, right? So he's one away from joining that club. He would be the first shortstop in the National League to hit that mark ever. And he's the only one who has, who would have that many home runs, that many doubles with 25 or more stolen bases. So he's one away from hitting that. Lindor right now has 23 stolen bases. So he's two away from hitting the 25 stolen bases, which would make him one of the only shortstops ever to hit the 30 home runs, 40 doubles, 25 stolen bases. And Trevor Story is one double short. So it's kind of a race to see who's going to get there first. But there's really no doubt in anybody's mind they're both going to get there this season. No one has ever done that before. No no shortstop ever. And we've got two. And I am in awe that you chose both of these guys for your fantasy leagues. That is incredibly impressive because I had such problems with shortstop. And actually, my shortstop choices have both caused me problems over the season. So go figure. I got to watch you. Well, I'm just saying we we judge on different criteria, right? Right. Here we go again for the second week in a row. I get to say, Otani, watch. And then I get to be a little bit sad because <laughs> easy come, easy go. Last week, I said that with enthusiasm because it looked like Otani was going to be able to pitch again. And it turns out not so fast. He has spent the entire season of trying to avoid Tommy John surgery with this series of injections. After a little while, he's been able to hit and he's been doing really well as a hitter. But now they're saying probably he will be out for Tommy John surgery soon, which will impact his ability to pitch next season. Right. And he could choose not to get the surgery. There are some alternative therapies that he could keep trying. Um, 
almost none of them have been very successful. So if the one good thing about them realizing now that he should get the surgery if he wants to pitch is that if he does it right away at the end of the season, clearly he wants to bat till the end of the season. But if as soon as that's over, he has the surgery, he will probably only miss the 2019 season. If they didn't discover this until spring training next year, he would likely have missed all of that season and most or all of the 2020 season. So if he makes that call and does it now, it'll only be one season without him. And he will be able to bat at least somewhat next year is what it sounds like. Um, He is showing his stuff off with his batting now. The day that this news came out, he actually went four for four with two home runs. (laughs) So I think he's making a point that he's still playing, but he's also making a point that he does want to go back to pitching. I want to eat a little bit. Well, I don't want to, but I'm going to eat a little bit of crow on my statement from last week where I said that we were missing him this year and he didn't do the all-star. I was right about that. And I said that there was no chance for rookie of the year. And he's just lucky that he's in the American League is what it comes down to because National League Rookie of the Year is going to be tense, right, between Soto and and from the Braves. Acuna. Acuna. Thank you. Um, but the next best thing in the American League is Andujar on the Yankees. And he's doing really well. He has 23 home runs um, out of 494 at-bats. But Otani has 19 home runs on 251 at-bats. So Maybe he can pass him, actually, in home runs before the end of the season. Plus, Otani pitched to 211 batters. So if you add up all those at-bats plus his the, the batters that he faced, he's had more one-to-one matchups than Andujar has. And I think that's something in his favor. Yeah, those numbers add up to about a complete season. You know, half pitching, half batting. So you can compare that. Now, I don't know about... You know, Andujar is going to have other things that come into play. It's going to both of them. They'll be batting average. They'll be fielding. They'll be defense and those things, too, which Otani won't have available. But again, Andujar is not going to have the pitching available. So it's it's going to be apples and oranges. But they are both absolutely contenders there. Right. There is interesting, interesting uh, stuff happening with the Cy Young contenders in the National League. Right now, the three contenders, and honestly, there is nobody else that anybody's talking about, are Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom and Aaron Nola. And they're not only in contention for the Cy Young, but all three of them are also in contention for the National League MVP. That means most valuable of all the players in the league. All of them, all three of them are eight wins above replacement. And that's hugely more than any of the other contenders for the for the MVP for the league. So that's going to be interesting. They don't often pick pitchers, but sometimes they do. The other interesting thing is it's very likely that none of them will appear in the playoffs. That's fascinating, D- depending on what happens with the Braves and the Phillies and the Nationals. Yeah, there's, I mean, things are up in the air. Well, you know, DeGrom is not going to end up in the playoffs for sure. He has an amazing ERA of 168, which is just just miles away from the from the person in second place which is who's Nola his record he's got the the major league baseball record for 24 straight games allowing three or fewer runs 24 consecutive games allowing three or fewer runs but his record is only 8 and 8 because Mets. Yeah, because they can't manage to make more than three runs. So if he's losing games by this really small margin, it kind of sucks. And it might even be after he's been taken out, I'm sure. Right. And so we'll talk in a minute about how that affects how people are going to vote. Now, Max, his ERA is 231, which is great, but it's not a DeGrom level thing. 
but he's also the second pitcher ever to have five straight seasons with 250 strikeouts. Randy Johnson is the only one who has had more. So that's kind of stunning. He's also the first National League pitcher to get to 17 wins. So if you're looking at number of wins, clearly Scherzer is way above. If you're looking at strikeouts, clearly he is. If you're looking at our, at ERA, it's DeGrom. Now, Aaron Nola is also mentioned in the same sentence. He's second to DeGrom in ERA. He's allowed fewer hits and home runs than Scherzer has. But I kind of think he's going to get lost in the shuffle. Because DeGrom is kind of getting the vote for people who are like, it's not his fault. He plays for the damn Mets. They're not giving him any help. And with Max, oh, he's won. Max's numbers are better than they were last year when he won. But he's also got more competition this year. But oh, he's won already. So it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this comes out. Because some of these things these guys can control, like their ERA. And some of, they, some of them they can't. Like the wins, if they don't get run support, they don't win. But I'm curious to see... Who's going to end up with a Cy Young? And are they really going to be in contention for the MVP? And it's interesting that there's another big award, like you were just saying, with Rookie of the Year, where you're dealing with apples and oranges. And what does it come down to? Which of the stats are more impressive or more encouraging at this point? I'm excited to see. Me too. Some more about the postseason, but in a weird way. Yeah, something I'm not so happy about. So the past two days, the Houston Astros have beat my Boston Red Sox, which I'm really terrified of being a little bit of a harbinger what's coming with the playoffs and what happened last year between the two teams. And the thing that pisses me off the worst about it is fucking Osuna doing the closing when I feel like he shouldn't be there. And he gets to pitch in the postseason. This man is has an open trial. He hasn't been proven guilty nor innocent yet, but he is accused of domestic abuse and he's able to pitch in the postseason despite being uh, penalized 75 games this year. R- Roberto uh, Cano, Robinson Cano, why did I say that? Robinson Cano, who was penalized 80 games, cannot play in the postseason because of drug use. So why can Asuna pitch in the postseason? It seems just wrong to me. I, I understand the innocent till proven guilty, but if it was bad enough that MLB suspended him for 75 games, there's got to be something there that means he shouldn't be p- pitching in the postseason. Yeah, well, I mean, MLB made both of the policies. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I think they suck. But MLB created both of the policies and they're following both of their policies. And this is a lot more serious than the damn rain delays. But I think it's time for MLB to take a good hard look at a lot of these policies. So um, there are we talked last week about people following Murphy around and not letting the homophobic remarks go. People are also following Asuna around a little bit. And I'm happy to hear about that. I want to give this fan a lot of credit because the Astros also take a lot of blame on this. So MLB has blame and the Astros, too, talking about their no tolerance, which we reported on a couple weeks ago. So a fan, an Astros fan, went to the ball game with a domestic hotline sign, a domestic abuse hotline sign. And it was very simple and basic. All it did was say the name of the center, the hotline number, please call if you need it, and held it up at the game. The, the fan was asked to leave the ballpark. And the reasoning behind that was that the sign wasn't baseball related. It just sounds crazy. It sounds like they're just trying to cover things up a little bit and make things look a little clean. So this fan says he has brought that sign to other games and no one has said anything. So I don't know if they were keeping their eye out for him saying, oh, here we go again. And it didn't have any player names on it, but if it 
did, for instance, say Osuna, it wouldn't be supportive of Osuna, but it sure would be baseball related, right? right? In a story I read about this, they interviewed fans around this guy who had the sign, and one of them said, domestic violence is a serious issue. I think the sign should be irrelevant in the ballpark because the Astros should already have one instead of us needing to bring one. They and I should. Thought that was pretty cool. They totally should. And the manager, Jeff, L- I still can't fucking pronounce his name, Lenau, right? He he said that their goal, and he said this recently, with despite having Asuna, is to use this opportunity to increase our support as a team and raise awareness and influence change regarding the issues of domestic violence and abuse. If that's true, yes, they should have a sign right there in the ballpark made by the Astros trying to influence that change. But to kick a fan out, bad grade, bad grade. And boy, is that fan getting a lot of play right now. So maybe that's good because now a lot of people are reading about this that didn't know about it before. There has been a lot of infighting, not just throwing fans out of ballparks, but actually in fighting within small rooms, the Mariners had a brawl, not a bench clearing brawl on the field, but a brawl in their clubhouse, in their locker room. Apparently, Gene Segura and Dee Gordon had a fight about ostensibly about Dee Gordon missing a fly ball. It was a game that they won. It didn't mean anything. So I think this is just somebody saying, oh, shiny thing, look over here. But what happened was the reason we know about this brawl is because Dee Gordon very politely asked the media to clear the the clubhouse for just a minute. There's a window in the clubhouse door. The media was watching a brawl take place. Apparently, these guys went at it. Six or seven other players tried to pull them apart. They went barreling through the door, opened the door, and landed kind of on the floor like a cartoon in front of the media. So clearly, they knew something was going on. We really don't know why it happened or what happened. And then they went out and they played a game. But it makes you wonder, how often is there infighting that we just don't know about? Because it's not in front of a window or the door doesn't bust open in front of the media. But it was a very polite, this is a family-only situation, so can you guys please step out for a minute? The other infighting that I think is disturbing and hilarious at the same time, and I'm sure it will never happen to me in potty mouth, is that the Tigers TV announcers, the play-by-play guy, and the color commentator who have worked together for years in a very tiny room, apparently went at it after a game, including one of them choking the other one, like attacking, like this was a physical altercation. And these are not young men. These are people who have worked together for a long time. And the rumor is it was over a chair. I don't know that that could, I think that chair is like that fly ball. It's an excuse, but not the real thing. Neither of these men who have been working for the Tigers for a very long time are going to be calling any games for the rest of this season. So um, Patty Mouth, I just want to say, I promise not to try choking you or pushing you over fly balls or chairs or anything else. I think we should just kind of like be professional about it and, and, you know, deal with our problems over a beer if we have them. That sounds like a good solution. Let's do it. I'm totally with you on that one. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk about some women's baseball. You'd think this would be the happy segment. I feel like we're getting into a little bit of a downer here because I've been so excited about women's baseball and reporting on the Women's Baseball World Cup the past few weeks. And when I first found out about the tournament that it was going to be in Vieira, Florida, what came into my mind is where the fuck is Vieira, Florida? And I just figured it was another like spring training kind of area. Turns out that I they it was. It's not. It it is, but it's an old shitty facility, is what it comes down to. Huh. And it was kind of in the middle of nowhere for an international competition of this level. 
they gave it a really poor landing place. Apparently, the turf sucked and to the point of potential injury with really weird bounces on the ball. The B games, you know how they had two tracks, right? The, the A teams and the B teams. The B teams played in what was essentially a rec park sort of environment. Like we would go downtown here. Like where and, my kids' travel team plays? Yeah, kind yeah. of. Yeah, wow. Yeah, kind of. The, the attendance was pathetic and it's sort of, you know, what's what came first, chicken or the egg? People didn't show up. It was mostly families. Although we have repeatedly talked about the success of the Japanese team who got the gold, and they had TV cameras following them. Every game that Japan played in, they had the full press corps with them doing interviews, covering it, and there was no official U.S. broadcaster. We've said it was on YouTube and anybody could get it, but we didn't have that press behind it. We didn't have that, that power that comes with good media. And the advertising that goes along with having a media outlet be your sponsor. And that's a huge part of it. I want to leave on a little bit of a hopeful note, something super interesting. Francis Ford Coppola was there. He was watching games and people started looking into it and trying to wonder where this fan came from. And it turns out that he's a big proponent of co-ed baseball. He, we, we, a lot of people know he has wineries And apparently one of his wineries has a baseball field because the idea is that people can come have a party at the winery and play baseball. Sounds cool to me. That's my perfect winery setup right there. I I think we need a field trip for this one. Let's do it. This sounds like a good idea. So people have their bachelorette parties there, wedding parties, whatever, and play baseball and drink wine. And he was noticing that the women were out there playing at the level the same or maybe even better as a lot of the men playing. So his winery became a sponsor of one of the independent league teams in California in Sonoma, and he insisted on it being co-ed and letting in female players who have been very successful, and two of them were on the U.S. team, and he went there to support those two players. Is there a lesson there? You play baseball, you get get better. (laughs) You play baseball in an organized, recognized, supported team with sponsors, you get even better. So let's support women's baseball, co-ed baseball, whatever it takes to get women out there. I have a thought. If the whole winery setup worked for Francis Ford Coppola, maybe we could have a microbrewery and have a ballpark in the back. Oh, I see where you're going. You see where I'm going with this? And then we too could be fostering these co-ed teams and women playing baseball. I think that could totally work. Are you in? Let's file that idea yeah. for later because I know who would be behind the brewery, yeah. our friends at Brew Daddies, and, and yeah. let's just let them focus oh, on what they they're doing. they would be good at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. I, so I have, um, I have a boyfriend idea for you. So um, Reese Hoskins, we mentioned earlier, um, was my boyfriend on the Phillies. But now that they have Wilson Ramos, the Buffalo, I had a, I had a, a little breakup. It was a let's agree to be friends. You know, he's been taken again. He's so popular. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's in the league. Let's just leave okay. it that way. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. But here he did something that I think would attract you as like, hey, hey, here's a thing that you might like about him. Hey. I don't know why, but he was selected to design a ball cap, a Phillies ball cap for the New Era company. And he designed a, a trucker cap. And that's not what makes me think of you. <laughs> and it's, it's got an <laughs> right American there. flag on it, which is also not what makes me think of you. But to promote this, they put him in disguise at the team store, the Phillies team store. They put him in like the polo shirt with the team thing on it. They gave him a name tag that said David. They gave him a wig. He put on a cap and he went out to try to sell his caps 
even though he's David and not Reese Hoskins. And there's hilarious video about it. This reminded me of the the thing that made me like Aaron Judge when he was, you know, had a table set up on the streets of New York City and was interviewing Yankees fans who didn't realize that he was actually Aaron Judge. A similar thing happened with he talked to um, you know, a couple of guys coming in together who was saying how great this Reese Hoskins guys this guy was and little kids. And they, he was trying to get the kids to find Reese Hoskins. He's in the store. Here's his picture. Can you find him? It was really very fun. I want there to be like a charitable thing that comes out of this. I couldn't find one. But at least he's hilarious. And I know you like hilarious and playful. And, you know, that calls back to why I picked Yonder Alonso. It just hit me for the Cleveland team. So anybody curious about that, look in our back episodes of When I Picked Yonder because very similar story. Oh, that's right. I remember that one. I was at the park yesterday. Speaking of rainouts, this was a double header between the Cubs and the Nats that happened because Friday was a complete washout all the way till midnight. So there was a three o'clock game. And then whenever that was going to be over, there was going to be another game. So people are coming in and out of the the ballpark. And so I'm sitting there with my friend. And then this kid, like nine or 10 year old kid comes and sits two seats away from me, which should have been your spot or Mr. Potty Mouth spot. But you guys weren't there. Oops. That's okay. And this kid's there by himself for a few minutes until his grown up comes a little while later. But he's chatty. He is into the game. And I love it when kids are into the game. And he knew stuff. Max Scherzer was pitching. He was saying, oh, he is the strikeout king. And this and that. Oh, he's won the Cy Young twice. And he was trying to engage me in conversation. So I said, actually, you know what? He won it three times. And and he didn't like me teaching him stuff, but he kept asking me questions. So I think he just wanted, I don't know what he wanted, but the thing that was kind of the downside, which is when we get back to me not enjoying children as a demographic, liking specific children very, very much, but not as a demographic, because he decided that all of his enthusiasm and yelling was going to be with his head turned toward my right ear and then at high volume in a screechy tone. He was very enthusiastic, like four inches from my head for several innings. So that was kind of hard. But he would ask things like, what's FC? And I'd say, oh, that's fielder's choice. Do you know what that is? And he's like, mm, yes. What is hit into a DP? Oh, that's a double play. He's like, oh, okay. And then he looks at me and he yells four inches from my head, want to help me pick on the Cubs? And this is where I think I had a teaching moment. Here's what happened. I said, no, thank you. And he said, well, why not? They keep dropping the ball. And I said, well, you know, I like to cheer for my team, but I don't like picking on the other team. I, I kind of want to be nice to everybody and, and be supportive, but not be mean to anybody. I say, yeah, but the, like, no, I'm not going to pick on the other team. And he kind of went, oh. And then maybe, maybe if it sticks, it's going to prevent him from being that guy. Remember yeah, that guy? Yeah, I was just thinking that you might have made that difference to prevent another asshole, like the guy who was like five rows in front of us at the Cardinals game, who kept yelling Martinez sucks when their when their relief pitcher was up there. And we were yelling for the batters. The Nationals were batting. So you cheer on the batters. And he just kept yelling that the pitcher sucks. And we were making slightly loud uh not approving, let's say, comments that I don't think he picked up on very and, well. And, and, well, he wasn't listening to us, but his buddies were sort of punching him on the shoulder. And I, let's take this moment to say we had great seats, which put us near this asshole. But we had great seats because of two friends of the show, Maureen and George, invited us to go along. And there's super great seats for the Nats Cards games. Thank you both. We had such a good time. And the reason I didn't jump over four rows to sit next to this guy and ask him just how small his was that he felt like he needed to yell at people <laughs> was because I had respect for our benefactors. 
Thank you very much. I want to add to that. And I think the people in the row of, in front of us might have moved away because of our exuberance a little bit. So I'm just going to hope that because we were so close that we had a positive impact in the way to cheer in that section and the people around us and the players, even though they didn't quite pull through at the end. Yeah, but, you know, we were there for them. We were there for them. So life lessons from the ballpark. Hey, we have this fantasy boyfriend baseball league. Do you want to talk about that? Because I, I don't. Might as well. Deborah. you are amazing. You're way ahead of us at this point. I was cruising the beginning of the season. Deborah's up there now. And you and I are basically neck and neck. We've been trading off second place. And I think I'm about a half a point in front of you at this. But it might have changed by now. It could have, but uh, you know, it's it's it'll go back and forth a little bit. But I am no longer in second place, and I'm just going to try to be a good person who cheers for positive things and doesn't say negative things about other teams, even when they're fantasy boyfriend baseball teams. Yeah, we're close. We're yeah, close. It's yeah. a long season. Hey, I'm going to be tra- cross training this week. You go. Where are you going? So I'm going to George Mason University because the Mystics, the Washington's WNBA franchise made the finals for the first time in franchise history. And I'm going to a game on Wednesday. So I'm cross-training. I'm going to, you know, be going to sit there at a basketball court where things move a lot more quickly. I'm going to see if my head can swivel fast enough. doesn't have to do that too much at a ballpark. But I'm excited about that. The other great thing about women's basketball, no rainouts. Perfect. Psyched about that. Hey, so if you like what we do, we're hoping that you'll help support our work by going to patreon.com slash no crying in b-ball. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash no crying in b-ball to become a supporter today. You pay just a little bit per episode and you get access to extra content. You help make sure this show keeps happening. And while you're here, tell your friends about the show. Make sure you subscribe. I know you might listen to one or two. Go ahead and subscribe. Don't miss an episode. And please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth. <laughs>